Hey, welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, our God, we love you and thank you and praise you that you ask us to be salt, light, and leaven in this world. Lord, you call us to be available to you, to be available to be led into relationships and conversations, into places of... Um, and to places where we come into contact with others, Lord, and give us the grace to witness. Give us the grace, the, the freedom that comes from your Holy Spirit, the freedom that, uh, the power that comes from your Holy Spirit alive in us. Lord, we don't know how to be led by your Spirit in the ways that we ought. Lord, we don't, we're not always willing to be led by the Spirit in the ways that you want. And so, Lord, we ask today for grace. We ask for mercy. We ask for um, courage and wisdom. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Courage and wisdom. Courage and wisdom. Where did that come from? Well, it came from a homily that, well, it wasn't really a homily. I guess it was, well, it was at the confirmation of my son, John Luke. He's 16. And my daughter, Annalise, she's 14 at St. Mary's. That's Father Lewis's parish. If you listen to Sound Insight, on Mondays you hear Father Lewis most of the time. And Father Lewis is the pastor of St. Mary's in Spokane Valley, where we live. And my kids, my two of my kiddos were confirmed then with a bunch of other uh, a bunch of other wonderful, mostly teenagers, but also some younger uh, folk, younger kids as well, and, uh, and a couple older people. <laughs> well, Bishop Daly came, and because you know the bishop is the one who has the the normal or ordinary uh, confers the grace of the sacrament of confirmation. Sometimes he'll delegate delegate that to pastors if um, he's unable to make it or one of his auxiliary bishops is unable to be there. But Bishop Daly was able to be there, which is uh, a real blessing. And uh, it was really neat because there was someone there who was just uh, talking to him afterwards. He stuck around for uh, quite a while at the kind of time of fellowship afterwards and um, and people were just really excited to be able to, to come close to him and thanked him for his leadership, thanked him for his shepherding care as the bishop here in Spokane. Well, during the uh, time of, uh, I was going to say interrogation, <laughs> the time of interaction between the bishop and the confirmandi, the candidates for confirmation, he highlighted two of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Two of the seven gifts that he identified as particularly uh, need. I don't. I don't know if the word. I don't want to say my words. Particularly needed, but he encouraged the the those about to be confirmed to seek after these two particular gifts. Now, those were two of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? You probably are aware that these. Seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah that lays out these seven gifts of the Spirit. Uh, traditionally, that's where it comes from. And, and these gifts are identified as being communicated to us in baptism and then increased in confirmation, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, uh, right judgment, and piety, reverence, uh, and courage. Um, and so these gifts of the Holy Spirit are given and and they're all needed, right? They're all needed for us to live a full life in the spirit. In fact, uh, the traditional teaching of the church, uh, that kind of the spiritual teaching, is that we are called to become. Uh, I'm going to use the 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 phrase. I have it in quotes. I have it in air quotes. So you don't hear it. spiritual men, right? So we become spiritual ones, uh, spiritual men and women, by allowing the gifts of the spirit to be the vehicles through which the Holy Spirit is operating in our lives. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? Think about that. The Holy Spirit of God, who is God, the promised one of the Father, is communicated to us in baptism. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and where the the person of the Spirit is, the Blessed Trinity dwells. So you have God dwelling in your heart. That's what fills the ache in the human heart. And only that, not just the, let's call it, factual presence of the Holy Spirit, but communing with a vibrant, vital, profound, intimate, life-giving communion with the Blessed Trinity dwelling within our soul. And so this is, this is again, just very traditional Catholic and scriptural theology of the spiritual life. And we, when we receive the gift of the Spirit, the promised one of the Father, we, in this communing with 
with God, this union with God within, we go from a sense, a sense of an ache and emptiness and, and, and loneliness, the, 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 the scar in that soul, that painful desperation and darkness, that is the, or despair and darkness that's there because the cavernous emptiness that is in our soul, we were made for God. But when God dwells in a union of love with us, then we are filled to overflowing and there's a sense of light that flows forth from us. There's a sense of love that flows forth from us. There's a sense of joy that overflows flows from us that that's the difference that should be the difference in our lives and so the holy spirit alive in us is going to prompt and move us in fact when we take a look at what is really at the grounding of our ability to be salt light and leaven in the world according to saint john paul ii it's radical availability radical, complete docility to the Holy Spirit. This capacity, this this space to have the Holy Spirit prompt and move and nudge us to come out into the world. And, and those those things like God God is really inside of you and God God is inside of me and and God can move me and prompt me. Yes, 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 yes. This is the this is the exciting drama of discipleship. But we're not going to have that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit unless we're nurturing a relationship with God through prayer. Often through quiet prayer. Often through prayer that connects us to the real presence of Jesus Christ and the the presence of Christ in his word and in the sacrament, the blessed sacrament, and in the liturgy, so the liturgy of the hours. These are all privileged places to encounter Jesus Christ. And when we have that sense of Christ coming to meet us, Christ coming to knock on the door of our lives, Christ coming to say, I am with you. I am with you always. I will never abandon you. I am here with you and for you. And and nurture, grow, foster, uh, nourish this relationship. Then we'll have that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. God wants this for you. Don't doubt this. This is not just for priests or nuns or, uh, or people who um, have somehow like extraordinary amounts of time that they can devote to, uh, to study and to prayer and, and all of that. No, no, no. This is your inheritance. Please, please know this. This is your inheritance this is what the Lord wants for you. And so it, it begins with the simple commitment of today. Today, are you taking time to nurture that relationship with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit who is alive in you? And so circle back around these seven gifts of the Spirit. Bishop Daly was proposing, hey, focus on wisdom and courage. Wisdom and courage. He said, if you get those two right, those kind of like put those poles in the ground, those will become a sturdy foundation for you and me to be salt, light, and leaven in the world. Now, why? Why wisdom and why courage or fortitude, right? You can use either, either, either word. Well, what's wisdom? Right? What's wisdom? Wisdom is that gift of the Holy Spirit that gives us a sensitivity to God's presence in all of the things that are unfolding in our life. Okay, did you hear that? Let me let me say that again because it might be an event, it might be something that's happening, like a happening. Right? Like, whoa, 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 wait, what is going on here? Why, why is this happening in my family, in this relationship, in the workplace, in, in, in my neighborhood, in the world around me? What is going on here? And so wisdom is that sensitivity to the finger of God at work in 
a circumstance. Let me give you an example. So yesterday, <laughs> I got a, a phone call from a neighbor. I'd never met him. A few doors down, never met him before, didn't know his name. They moved in, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, they don't have kids uh, that are uh, still at home. Um, and I got I got a phone call, and, and he was not happy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, I'm sorry, oh, hi. And so I, he told me his name, and and, and he, I don't even know how he got my number, but, um, cause we'd never met. And he said, Hey, um, your kids are on a, an electric motor scooter, like an electric, um, scooter, right? A scooter, uh, that is, um, uh, that, and they're going up and down my driveway. And I'm like, now, where do you live? <laughs> I'm like, do you live at the end of the street? No, I live at the other end of the street. And so your kid's going down into my driveway and kind of spinning around and then going back up the driveway. And I'm like, oh, wow. And he said, it's going. it's been happening now for a couple of days. And it's go every time it does, the camera goes off and it's sending this notification to my phone. And I'm here at my, my son's graduation in, in Seattle. And uh, he was not happy. He was perturbed. So I said, I got it. I'm taking care of it right now. So got off the phone, went um, and went outside first. I want to see who is on this scooter. Well, the scooter was there, right, right there uh, next to the front step. And um, so I went inside. And I went to my youngest daughter, Liliana. I said, Lily, I said, were you on the scooter today? Did you take the scooter to go down into that driveway? And she said, yeah, yeah, I did that like once or twice. And I said, have you done that in the last few days? She said, well, I did it one. I did it yesterday a couple times. But I, that those are the only two times I've done it. And um, and I said, oh, I said, well, you know, the neighbor. And then I explained every time it goes off the cameras and it says this thing. And he and he wasn't he was upset. about. She said, I am so sorry. I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was the case. I, I didn't mean that. So. Here's wisdom. Okay, so here we are in this circumstance. And I know that there's a perturbed guy at the other end. And he um, he kind of bloated the claim. It's been going off all these different nights and all these different times and all of this. And she says, well, I did it tw twice yesterday and I did it like twice today. And part of me was thinking, oh, I'm going to defend my daughter. And then there was something inside of me that prompted me that said, no, 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 no. That is not how you handle this. This is, there's a different moment here. So I texted him back because I knew he was at the graduation. I said, I spoke with my daughter. She asks forgiveness for doing that. She meant no harm or disrespect. She won't do it again. Enjoy your son's graduation. And, um, and that was the message I sent across. I used the the five sentences, uh, well, most of them, <laughs> like the traditional understanding of confession, which is you accuse yourself, you know, you acknowledge it, right? Uh, and then you say how you're sorry for it, and you ask for forgiveness, and you say you won't do it again. I didn't do the penance part. How could I make up for it? Um, but I, I put those steps in there, and just simple, clean, clear, let's just use this as a way to say not, oh, you're making a big deal about nothing or you overstated it or get over yourself. No, no, no. I spoke with my daughter. She asks forgiveness. She asks forgiveness for doing that. It doesn't just, I apologize, but she asks forgiveness. And she meant no harm or disrespect. She didn't realize that it was sending off, you know, beeps and tones and messages to you. And she won't do it again, right? So that's that's a confession. And enjoy your graduation. And he said, thank you, Tom. I appreciate her apology and accept it. So, um, which is interesting because he didn't say, I forgive you. <laughs> he did say, I accept her apology. Um, but it was, that can create an open door. That's an attempt to be salt, light, and leaven in the world. That is, I hope, an example of discerning and saying, 
what does wisdom, what does the Holy Spirit say to do through the gifts that he has given me? Wisdom is a gift. and We have to pray that it is ignited when we face circumstances like this. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. So today in the program, I am just sharing with you um, the call we have to be salt, light, and leaven in this world. And we only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit comes to us in baptism and confirmation. I had two of my uh, teenagers were confirmed last Thursday at St. Mary's by Bishop Daly. Bishop Daly identified two of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit as gifts that we ought to be praying for that really are so necessary. All the gifts are necessary, but boy, if we can get these two down, if we can pray for these two gifts and watch how opportunities will come alive in our day-to-day lives, this will be an immense help for us to respond to the calls and challenges of our time. So I was talking about wisdom. What is wisdom again? Wisdom is that sensitivity to the finger of God at work in circumstances. Wisdom is that gift of the Holy Spirit where we sense that God is at work here and we can see, we can sense how God is is not only at work, but he is going to use what is happening and unfolding here in such a way that he's going to be glorified. This situation, this relationship, this happening will find its end in God. It will find its ultimate meaning and purpose in God, right? God's will will be done or God will do something greater, right? God's will will be done. He's glorified and we can sense God at work when we honor him, when we do his will. But when his will is betrayed by us or by others, well, wait a minute, Lord, what are you doing here? God is not outwitted. God is not outdone. God has the ability to overcome. And wisdom has that sense of finding this capacity, sensing this capacity for the Lord to bring about his will. So uh, his will. And, And so he'll be glorified through this. And boy, that's so helpful, right? Especially when circumstances in our lives get harder. When things are not going as well as we would like. It's hard to see, God, where are you in this? God, how are you being glorified in this? God, how much longer do I have to endure this? Okay, so this is where the second gift that Bishop Daly recommended comes in, courage. What is courage? Courage is the willingness to face difficulties. Courage is the willingness to face not just difficulties, but dangers. Courage is not just the willingness to face difficulties and dangers, but even the willingness to continue to press forward, even in the face of the danger of death. Courage is manning up and saying, I am not going to be stopped because things got difficult Things became uncomfortable. Things became uh, pressured. No, I'm going to continue to push forward, even when it's dangerous for me. Now, dangerous doesn't mean, you know, okay, so there's now, like, uh, you know, there's a target on your head, you're going to be martyred. But what about this? How about... A danger to a relationship. You know, when, when all of a sudden a situation becomes a little bit more um, touchy, a little bit more sensitized to the reality of faith. So let me give you an example of this sense of discernment, right? Wis- having that sense of wisdom. God, where, where are you at work here? And then having the courage to press in because you might lose something. You might lose a relationship, right? You might, something might be put at risk if you step forward and bring out the concept of faith. So I was talking with this couple yesterday and um, they were um, looking at a business transaction um, with me and um, 
as they were were talking, um, they had given a hint. They had mentioned in passing that when they listened to my voicemail and they left me a voicemail, that at the end of my voicemail, I say, God bless. Um, and I put that in there and in my professional, uh, my, like if, if someone calls my, my, my phone number, you know, I'll say, leave a message, God bless your day, or God bless you. And, you know, that's a little bit of a risky thing to do. I mean, come on, <laughs> it's, not that, it's not that risky, right? But I did, and I have it there. And, um, and so when people interact with me, they know that I've kind of already had that out in the open. And so when they like will drop a little breadcrumb, a little hint that says that they are acknowledging that, or they use certain words that maybe are hinting at the fact that they are people of faith, of prayer, or belief in God, or Christian, or Catholic, um, then it's it's going to be a matter of how do I, appropriately, if the situation emerges, um, bring up the the context of faith, and so. Um, so yesterday these folks were trying to come to a decision and I said, you know what? I said, I, I got the sense that you people are, are people of faith. Is that true? Yes. Yes. We're Christian. Great. Why don't you just pray about it? You don't have to make a decision right now. Just pray about it. And, and they just went, ah, and, and here's the thing. It wasn't a tactic. It wasn't a strategy. It was, well, natural. It was normal. Wouldn't that be nice? Isn't that kind of nice that in the course of really a, a high stakes, important moment where you're discussing a, like a, an agreement about a business transaction, to be able to say, you know what? Why don't you pray about that? And so it, it really is a matter of having a sensitivity to God, what are you doing here? What are you asking of me to do here? And then having the courage to step in and be salt, light, and leaven. Introduce the Lord, introduce Jesus into the conversation. Because here's the thing, I want you to think about this, right? In the course of uh, many I I don't want to say many, maybe it's most, the great majority. It depends on your context, I guess. Well, I guess it depends on your context of the situations you're facing, the people you're talking to. You know, a lot of these folks are people of faith, of Christian faith, uh, belief in God. And and if you get little signs and and sensitivities to that, there becomes easy ways to, to find out. And then when that can be brought into the conversation, in, in an appropriate way, then um, that's something that, that's worth looking at. That's something that's worth uh, bringing out into the open. So I want to give you another example from yesterday. So yesterday um, in the morning, I picked up at a, um, at a hotel, a guy who's doing some work for me. He flew in from Minnesota um, he's doing some work on some computers that I have. And um, these are sort of very specialized computers, and uh, this guy has an expertise in it. And so um, I flew him into town. And um, we had, in, in the course of our previous phone calls and exchanges, like email and text, um, had this kind of quiet or discreet referencing to the fact that we were both men of faith. He's a married guy, he's got six kids. um, And um, he had, because of our common connection, we, we, uh, the fellow that um, we were both connected to, that connected us, had this sense of um, common faith. Um, Well, I picked him up and uh, just met him for the first time in person, and we're driving to the building where these computers are, and um, and you know we're talking, and it didn't take long, didn't take long, for 
for me first to bring up the reality of faith and that, um, and that he's a person of faith. And he said, yes, and uh, he's not Catholic. Uh, he's he's a, a form of evangelical. And it ended up opening up this conversation that, I don't know, went on for about 15 minutes as we're driving and then arriving on site where he's going to be doing some work um, uh, for me and with me for a few days. And um, it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful because we had a chance to both talk about the way that we um, came to um, like look at the reality of our lives in the light of, of the Lord and the gift of our faith in Jesus Christ and how we want him glorified in all that we're doing and how he's led us to this moment and how um, we are uh, striving to be what excellent in our professions and yet also striving to glorify him every step of the way, right? Just because uh, just because you're a person of faith, right? Being a person of faith doesn't mean that, oh, you're off the hook when it comes from performing with excellence, right? You can, you can have very high standards. You ought to have high standards because that, guess what? That also honors the Lord, being a good steward of the gifts that God's given you. Um, so it, it's not just an excuse for laziness or half efforts. No, not at all. No, in fact, um, what I've found is that, um, that it, it, even though occasionally it can be the case that people will maybe lean on faith as a, as a somehow like an excuse or a crutch to ask for favor, from someone that they know is a person of faith, that that is for sure a dynamic that I can see happen. But I have found that uh, in more instances, that when you have a person of faith who's striving to live and love uh, the Lord, live for the Lord and love the Lord authentically um, in, in all that they're saying, thinking, and doing, that that translates into, well, I want to glorify him by living a life that is poured out, right? I'm not trying to live just an easy, comfortable life, but I want to bring all my gifts to the table with excellence. And so um, it was, it was, it was really beautiful. It was beautiful the way that God got involved in, in our conversations. And, and this brings up what this woman said to me on Sunday at a party. It was a graduation party for her uh, son and daughter, and and she and her husband own this business, and this business is is about marketing and and reaching out into the digital world. And, and she said, you know, she said, I believe that we are living in a time where our faith needs to be more on the surface of our relationships with the people that we interact with in business. And, you know, it, I'm not saying you wear a glowing Jesus crucifix into your meeting, but that we are not as hidden about or not reluctant to be public or obvious about our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And and if we do that well, we are not, again, we're not trying to sort of send a signal that says, let's just keep this in-house here and like let's only interact with other people of faith. But rather, there are so many people that are hurting, so many people who are struggling who don't know how to access the living God as a source of refreshment, light, peace, as a source of restoration and, and overcoming, as a source of freedom in the situations where they're broken. And it's like, wait a minute, here I am talking with this person who's really struggling, right? maybe in ways that are hidden, maybe in ways that are not just obvious, they're keeping it together, they got a good mask on, but they're really struggling. And if they have no awareness that, you know, I know the living God. I have faith that the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, is present in this moment. 
and has a gift for you, is knocking on the door of your life right now and is ready to come in right now. It's funny. Um, so <laughs> as, I'm, as I am talking to you about this, you might have heard my like an, uh, a, a, what's a notification. I thought I had my notifications off. I got a notification <laughs> literally during my talking to you about the idea of witnessing to people about your faith in Christ when they are in circumstances that are challenging or broken and you don't have an easy natural entry point it hasn't that's not the basis of the relationship that hasn't been in the in the in the flow of the conversations or the interaction there's a person that I'm working with professionally right now serving her and uh, she's one of those people that did not get connected to me because of faith church work radio catholic stuff at all and in her interactions with me, began to share about some challenging circumstances in, in, in an upset way. And I was like, hey, you know what? I hope you're not offended, but is it okay if I pray for you? If I pray for this circumstance? And she was like, oh yeah, let's go. And all of a sudden now, that has become uh, a regular part of our messaging that I am praying for that circumstance. I think that that's where we need to go today. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. So I, I'm talking about salt, light, and leaven. The call to be uh, the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus is the light of the world today through us, his followers, the members of his body of Christ, who will be his hands and feet, who are going into the four corners of the world, who are going into relationships where he is, well, he's not, except through us, right? We're the ones. And because our society, because the world in which we're living today is less uh, uh, fully Christian, because there are many forces at work that are anti-Christian, Right? You think about these uh, uh, blasphemous sisters, quote-unquote, this group that went to the Dodgers game as part of uh, Pride Month, and just a, a blasphemous, sacrilegious presentation of uh, a, a farce of Catholic faith. And you know the Dodgers organization is willing to celebrate that. Well, what do we do about that? What do we do about that when... The church is attacked, maligned, uh, picked on, uh, blasphemed against, and there are not a lot of voices that are standing up against it. What do we do? It, it's a really interesting thing, that, that, woman, that woman's comment about, we live in a time where it is becoming abundantly clear that we are called upon to be more obvious about our faith in Christ in the course of our day-to-day business interactions. This is not something to hide or make so discreet that people would never guess or know that this is part of who we are. So you, if you've been hanging around me and hanging around Sun Inside for a whole bunch of years, you know that for many, many years I was doing uh, consulting work and executive coaching work at you know, big deal companies, like top companies in, in the world, like Boeing and T-Mobile. And what I would find out, what I would come to discover, lo and behold, is that a lot of these executives that I would interact, in fact, the great majority of them were people of deep, convicted Christian faith. And they would often find in me someone that they would be able to like almost whisper, hey, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm Christian, I'm Catholic, I listen to you on the radio. Hey, I was at that talk that you gave. Or, uh, you know what, I, I saw that session that you led, you were referencing things without saying it out loud that are deeply biblical or Christian or, or Catholic or, or things that I believe in. 
and I got it. I'm with you. Thanks for doing that. It was a very, very common thing in the last 25 years that I would routinely have these folks say this to me, but it was definitely something that was more like, hey, come over here. Don't really say this out loud to anyone, but I'm with you. So we have, we, Catholics and Christians, have been sort of knocked back on our heels to keep faith private, separation church and state, keep our faith to ourselves, and not, in the words of Pope Francis, don't proselytize. Right? So what's, what's the difference between proselytizing and evangelizing? It's the difference between imposing the faith and proposing the faith. Did you get that? The difference between imposition and proposition. So people have a right to, in their own conscience, in that inner sanctuary where the voice of God is echoing and speaking to their hearts, people have what's called religious liberty. They have a right to follow their spiritual path in accord with the light that is at work in their conscience. That's religious liberty. It's, it's a Catholic church teaching. They have a right to religious liberty that is associated with their inner sanctuary of conscience. And that ought not to be imposed upon. So they have that right. However, they have another right. And that right is to hear the gospel. People have a right to hear the good news. And you have no right to keep it from them. Whoa, wait a minute. That's a right that we don't hear so much about. We don't often hear about that, do we? Right? Because I, I think that we, most of you folks listening to me, have grown up in a time where the idea of Christianity was woven into the fabric of our society. And so it was kind of taken for granted that people already knew Jesus Christ and knew some form of Christian faith, so you didn't really have to talk about it so much. Not anymore, not anymore, not anymore. That's not the world we're living in anymore, and so we have to act differently. We can't just do the same thing and expect a different outcome. If we pay attention to what's happened over the last 20 years, 30 years, as Christendom, as the idea that the Christian faith, the Judeo-Christian approach to life, that whole way of seeing life, the attitudes about life, and the actual behaviors connected to life are the fundamental thrust or dynamic way in which we Americans are living our lives. That is not the case anymore. Please, even if it's true for us, it's not true in the wider world around us. And because of that, we have to act differently. I say we have to. What am I saying? We're called to. We're called to act differently. Why? My brothers and sisters, do you realize how many young people that experience that ache in their heart despair and attempt to hurt themselves? They attempt to do one of three things. Remember now, Catechism of the Catholic Church, not making this up, the ache in the heart, when people experience that ache, they can strive to overlook it, they strive to fill it, or they strive to destroy it. If they don't know how to authentically relate to the ache, they'll attempt to overlook it, distract themselves. They'll attempt to fill it. Let me try to fill it with some kind of... Uh, uh, some something that is around me that is promising to fulfill the ache. And boy, there are so many clever, even demonic approaches to life that is say, this will fill you, this will fill you, this is, will fill you. And, and they're just lies, right? We've talked about this before in the program. I don't need to get into it anymore, except to say that the overlooking, the attempt to fill, and then the attempt to destroy it, where we become so in such a darkened place that 
People want to end their lives. And you think, you look at the rise of teen suicide. Why is that the case? Why is that the case, brothers and sisters? Isn't it connected in many, in many ways to the lack of a fresh, authentic proclamation of Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life for everyone? Young people today are not coming into contact with authentic witnesses and authentic presentations of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have a right to it. They have a right to hear the gospel. And if we are blessed by knowing Jesus Christ, if we are blessed by being in a household where prayer, where faith is a living part of our day-to-day lives, where we are practicing our faith, we're attending a community of faith, and we're there being nourished and nurtured in the core of our being. Yes, you receive those gifts and graces because God loves you. Yes, you have been given some privileged gifts and blessings because he loves you. But please know this, he's also given them to you for the sake of others. He's given them to you, but not only for you. He's given them to you for the sake of others. And that's what we have to ponder today, right? Like, okay, Lord, why did you give my family the gift of having my two teenagers confirmed last Thursday? What was that all about? What was that all about, Lord, when we heard that message to pray for wisdom and courage from Bishop Daly? What is that all about? Lord, what are you doing when you give me these opportunities day to day where I have a chance to come out into the open and bring it Uh, make it more visible, or to hide and keep it private, the fact that I have been given a gift of a relationship with you, Jesus, how do I, with wisdom, discern what am I being asked to do, and then have the courage to live it out? More on this in a minute on Sound Inside. All right. So we've talked about wisdom and courage. We've talked about the fact that we're living in a time that is in dire straits, desperately needing to to hear that Jesus Christ, he knows what you're going through. He knows your sufferings. And he has come to do something about it. Right? That was what? That was Moses in the burning bush sent to the people of Israel, the Israelites that were in in captivity in Egypt. It wasn't just the signs that Moses performed with Aaron. It was when he told them that the living God heard their cries of complaint against their slave drivers and that he saw their sufferings and that Moses had come as a witness to the fact that he was going to set them free. They fell down and worshipped. That led them to turn to God and to worship in the midst of their slavery. And when they agreed, when they worshipped them, what did God do? Signs and wonders. God sent these plagues, anything. He's going to set his people free. Can you be a Moses in someone's life today? Hear it again. Lord, send me. Uh, No, Moses was the reluctant one, right? Lord, don't send me. Pick someone else. (laughs) Please, Lord, pick someone else. Don't pick me. I don't want to do it. Isn't that like us? So what can you do today? What can you, let's in this last segment, let's make some agreements, all right? First agreement, let's say a prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I give you my today. I thank you for the gift of my today. I thank you for the gift of my faith. I thank you, Lord, that you have granted me graces in baptism and confirmation. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being alive in me. I give you permission, Holy Spirit, and I don't even know how to give you permission. So please, forge in me permission to be led by you. I beg you to remove obstacles, O Holy Spirit. Remove obstacles in me to being led by you. Remove the reluctance in me to being salt, light, and leaven. Please, Holy Spirit, give me a greater sensitivity to your nudge, to your prompting to say something when I'm interacting with people today. And I get this little nudge, Lord, that's saying, 
I think, Lord, you want me to witness to you, to bring you up, to share my faith, to tell my story, to mention something about you. Lord, they, I will be meeting people today who have a right to encounter you, to hear your gospel. Please, Jesus, give me the grace today to have an expectant faith, to be on the alert for the opportunities that you're bringing up, you're bringing in front of me to witness. And so I... I know that in my life. Amen. In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, please give me the grace to do that today. I say that for myself, but I say that to you because you know what that means? Today's not an ordinary day. Isn't that really cool? Peter, James, and John were going up to the temple every day, every day, every day. There's that guy again, the lame man who's begging for alms. There he is day after day after day. But today was something different. The Lord said, today's the day. I'm going to heal him. I'm not going to say give him gold and silver. I'm going to do something better. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to use you to do it. That's like us. You might see the same people again today, the same people again today, but it's not the same day. It's a different day. And the Holy Spirit is going to say, now's a different day. I've got something different for you. And you know what I'm, I'm going to promise you? You're going to get it wrong. Not every time. But you're not going to get it right every time. If you're only going to act when you get it right every time, you're not going to act. The only way to learn to get it right, better and better, is by trying. That's the maturing of discernment, is by testing. Testing and reflecting, testing and reflecting. This is not my idea. This is Ignatius of Loyola, John of the Cross. This is Francis de Sales. This is the tradition of discernment. And uh, this goes all the way back to St. John Cassian. All the way back, 3rd century, 4th century. These rules for discernment. You're going to come to recognize more fully the times, those moments, when the Holy Spirit is prompting you, 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 to... Speak into a situation where you mention Jesus Christ, where you mention your faith, where you mention prayer, where you bring up something that is out of the ordinary, out of a typical context, and you bring up God. God is not an intruder. God is not somehow foreign to the world we're living in as just some mythical concept. God is the ground of our being. God God is the creator of all things. God is here. And if people don't realize that, that the living God is here and wants to be involved in our lives, what in the world are we doing holding back that information? That's gold. That is gold. Now, we don't impose it. We don't impose it. We don't go crashing in and impose it. But we do propose it. And here's the other thing. When people come crashing in, in ways that are going to destroy our faith, what are we going to do about it? Boycott Target. Done. Done. Doesn't take long. Just boycott Target. Don't go there. They come crashing in against the innocence and purity of our kids' faith and sexual identity. Just be done. Just don't go there. Don't do it. Boycott Bud Light. Don't do it. Show them literally no sign of financial support for what they're doing. And so there are, let's call it, easy targets of opportunity for us to be able to witness by how we literally vote with our wallet regarding places that we'll go uh, and, and support financially versus places that we won't go and support financially. Honestly, I think we're moving into a time and season where we ought to see more public protests. I think protesting with wallet is really good because it'll make a difference. But then being even more public in our protests about the things that are uh, are vile, that are are not just ugly but tragic and destructive that are happening, and they fly right in the face of our Catholic faith. Don't even have to guess. And and the most demonic thing of all are the clever presenters of those very things as somehow being authentically Catholic and Christian. Those are the most 
uh, diabolical of all, right? And, and that's scriptural too, 666, right? The Antichrist, what's Christ's number? What's the number of the Trinity? 777. And so six will get you seven. Six looks like seven. Really quickly, when you look at it, the Antichrist looks like Christ. The Antichrist performs things that look like authentic miracles, but they're not. They're false. And, and it's going to take a great amount of sensitivity for us to recognize what's from God and what's not. If you take a look at our tradition, it's in the scriptures, and it's, it's in the catechism. It talks about in the end times, in the end times, even if it's not the end of the world right now, like let's, let's just take that concept out that whether or not it's the end of the world, what is happening at the end of the world will have analog- uh, analogous uh, manifestations in the history of the world, right? So uh, at the end of the world, all will be judged. Well, guess what? At the end of your world, you'll be judged, right? Uh, at the end of the world, Christ is coming. There'll be that encounter with the second coming of Christ that, boom, it's all over. Well, guess what? At the end of your world, you're going to have an encounter with Christ. <laughs> so at the end of the world, the church is going to undergo a trial that even the elect will be put hard to the test and some will betray the faith because of the wile, the wiles of the Antichrist. So guess what? In our time, we're going to have the same thing. And in our time, I think we're seeing more and more of that unfolding. Times are going to get harder. So what worked for us 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, like now 16 years ago, since the iPhone, is not going to work today. It's not. And so, I, Carrie and I, we were just talking about this the other day. Just again, it was like, boy, it takes a heroic faith to raise uh, a young person, to raise a child, to live their Catholic faith today. It takes a heroic effort. Carrie was like, you know, you say that, but it takes a heroic effort to live your own faith today. It doesn't even take a heroic effort to, to raise a kid to be Catholic today. It takes a heroic effort just to be Catholic today. Good point, Kerry. Well said. It's true. And yet, we better have our eyes wide open. We better have that wisdom that God's given to us. It's already in there. It's already in you. Pray that it'll be set, stirred into flame. Pray for an increase of that gift of wisdom. And then also, please, please pray for the gift of courage to be able to step forward, step out, and press through difficulties and dangers, even the danger of death. Maybe it's the death of your reputation. Maybe it's the death of your job. Maybe it's the death of your sense of security. But pray for wisdom and courage so that we can be salt, light, and leaven and fulfill our call. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.